As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me to that passage that Travis just read for us. First uh, Peter chapter two, we're going to be looking at verses four through 10 this morning as we continue just this like verse by verse study over the next several weeks uh, in first and, and second Peter. I absolutely love, love this text that we are going to be looking at today. Uh, I told our, our worship team this week as we were planning out the service that uh, this is kind of the ooey gooey theological center of first and second Peter. There is so much for us to chew on in this passage. And I think that these words have so much to speak to us today. The night that I became a follower of Jesus, uh, I made a deal with God, which always works out really well. I don't advise it, but this is my deal. I said, God, some of you have heard this before. God, I will go anywhere. I will do anything you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. Just please, Lord, please don't ask me to be a youth minister, a missionary, or Lord forbid, a preacher, because they're the worst. And I don't want anything to do with, with that. And I look back on that now, and, and, and I think of the, the quote that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> And my infant faith, still kind of wet from the baptistry, I, I didn't have a lot of clarity about what I wanted to do, but I had a whole lot of clarity about what I didn't want to do, where I did not want to go for the Lord. But by God's grace, since that night in August 1998, he has lovingly and kindly and oh so patiently revealed his calling on my life and for good or for bad, here we are today. And I think that I became more open to where the Lord was leading in my life and, and being faithful or being willing to take a, that, that faithful next step and wherever he might be leading. I think I became more open to it because I started asking a question that many of us we've asked in our life as well. And the, and the question was, why am I here? It's kind of a foundational question in life, isn't it? Why am I here? And at the heart of this question is a searching, I think, for identity. We're looking for our purpose. I think what we're actually asking is, who am I? And what am I called to do? And this is, again, it's a fundamental question in our lives. And I think that it's a question that Peter addresses in our text today. 
And Peter understands that to really get to an appropriate response and answer to that question, you have to ask it in that order. Who am I? And then what am I called to do? Identity before purpose. Because what we do ought to flow out of who we are. And to help kind of lock this into our minds, Peter uses an illustration of a building in our passage. There are three parts in our text that kind of weave in and in, in out. You, you have the foundation, which speaks to who Jesus is. And then by extension, as we're going to see, also speaks to who we are. You have the house that's being built. That speaks to who we are. There's a lot of identity language that we're going to see in that. And then you have kind of the work of the house, which helps us know what we are to do. And so you have the foundation, the house, and then the work of the house. And let's start with the foundation because that's where every good structure begins. And I think that what Peter wants us to see is that who we are starts with who Jesus is. This is so foundational for us. Don't miss this this morning. Who we are starts with who Jesus is. It has everything to do with Jesus. The passage that Travis read for us earlier, it ends with all kinds of identity language, especially in verse nine. We're gonna, we're gonna get to that, but look at how he starts. Go back up to verse four. Peter says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone. And so Peter ends this section with all of this identity language about who we are and then about what we do. But he starts by, by saying the foundation of this is coming to Jesus, the living stone. That if you want to know who you are, it starts by turning to him. Look to who Jesus is. The New Testament writers teach us that Christianity is about being united with Jesus. We we, we think of Christianity and oftentimes we think of so many things. We think of actions, we think of activities, or we think about avoiding certain actions and avoiding certain activities. But the fundamental truth of Christian faith is that who you are is who Christ is, that you are now in Christ and Christ is in you. And then everything, everything flows out of that. And so our identity and our purpose is now bound up in Jesus. We are sons and daughters of God because Jesus is the son of God. We are loved and accepted by God because Jesus was loved and accepted by God. We are holy and blameless and pure and all of those things that Alan broke down for us last week. And we're all of that, not because of anything that we have done or how good we are. We are holy, blameless, and pure because Jesus was holy, blameless, and pure. We have eternal life because Jesus is the eternal one. And the list can go on and on and on. But listen, everything that we read, everything that is true about Jesus is true about you. Because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And so now our identity, our meaning, our value, our purpose, all of these things that we look to to define who we are, it's not It's not built upon what we do. 
It's not built upon how we think about ourselves or what others think about us. Those things change all the time and they are dangerous places to go to for our identity. Who we are starts with who Jesus is. We find that he is the solid cornerstone upon which we can build our lives. He is our, he is our firm foundation that we can trust. That's, that's what Peter gets to. He, in, in verse six, he, he, he starts by kind of going back. He, he pulls a passage from the Old Testament in Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet is speaking to the Israelites, the, the, God's chosen people that, that God had made a covenant with. He said, you will be my people, I will be your God. And he, and he constantly is encouraging them to, to put their trust and put their faith and to, and to follow him and to believe in him, not just here, but, but here as well. But the Israelites, we see a constant wrestling with this and they're not quite willing to fully surrender to the Lord in a lot of ways that even in my own life, maybe even your life, we're not quite fully ready to surrender to the Lord. And, and we see the Israelites going in and out of faith and faithfulness. And we come to this period in Israelite history where they have actually stepped out and they've made a covenant with another nation to protect them and to watch over them. And, and, and God's saying, hey, we've, we've already made a covenant. I, I've already committed myself to you. you I've already said I would be your protector. I would be your provider. But now Israel is looking outside of God for those things in their lives. Again, just as oftentimes we do. And he, and he writes to them through the prophet Isaiah. And, and he's calling them back to him. And he's, and he's talking about how he wants to be this cornerstone this cornerstone that, that they can stand on with, with faith and with confidence. And Peter pulls that scripture out to, to talk about now this foundation that we can stand on, which is Jesus. He says in verse six, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. In those days, the cornerstone was the most essential piece of the entire structure. It was the first stone put in place and the integrity of the entire building depended on the cornerstone being set just right. And in fact, oftentimes builders would spend as much time finding and crafting and shaping and placing the cornerstone. They would spend as much time on the cornerstone as they would building the rest of the structure. It was that important. And Peter pulls that image as an illustration and he applies it to our lives. He says that God placed Jesus as the perfect cornerstone of our faith and in our lives and building our life or finding our identity on anything in this world is ultimately going to crumble. Anytime we say, okay, yes, God, I've made this relationship and this covenant with you, but I need this as well. Whatever this is, I need this person. I need this job. I need this much money in my bank account Whatever that is that we pull alongside, now all of a sudden we're building our lives on a cornerstone that is rocky, that is shaky, that is like shifting sand and it's gonna wash out from under us. But when we start with Jesus as the cornerstone of our lives, when we trust in him for the things that we desire most, Peter tells us that we will never be put to shame. We'll never get to a place where we look back and we go, well, that was a mistake. And so that's the foundation of our identity. It's Jesus. 
And if Jesus is the cornerstone, then we are the house that is being built up upon that foundation. Look again at verse four. Peter writes, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And so he acknowledges, even a couple of times in this, that just as Jesus was rejected as the living stone, even as the cornerstone in Israel, and then we see it even today in our culture, so many people either turning from Jesus or just outright rejecting him. Even as they reject Jesus, they're going to reject you. But, but something greater is happening in you. Peter says that in light of who Jesus is as the living stone, capital S, we are like these little living stones being built up by God himself into this spiritual house. And all of the language in this text points back to the Old Testament temple. But now Jesus is the new temple. He fulfills all of the purposes of the old temple. And since we are in him and he is in us, then we are being built into this new temple as well. A new place for God to dwell, for his presence to be amongst his people and to make himself known to the world. And this aligns with what Paul says as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God resides in us through the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3, he's speaking to the church collectively, and he says, you, the church, are the new temple of God. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that we are being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit. The church is the temple of God, but don't miss this. The Old Testament temple was a place. But we, and where God dwells in this new temple, is a people. It's the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. And so God is not in a place. He is in his people. God's presence is now in us. The spirit of God indwells us. That's why we are living stones being built up into this spiritual house together. So think about that. If you are in Christ, if you have surrendered your life to him, if you have identified with his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, if you are building your life upon the cornerstone that God has set through Jesus, God now lives in you. And it's so easy for us just to miss the magnitude of that. I, I wrestled with it even as I was typing these words in my sermon this week. That it just becomes this knowledge that, yeah, I've heard it a thousand times, but don't miss the magnitude of this. God has chosen to dwell in you. That means that you have more value, more purpose, more worth than you could ever imagine because God is in you. So that's who we are. We are living stones being built up upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. God now lives and has moved in us and we are being built upon this solid foundation that will not crack or crumble no matter what comes our way as we live as exiles in this world. It means that we don't have to fear. We don't have to live in fear of where our country is going, where our government is going, locally, 
nationally, things happening internationally. We don't have to live in fear of those things. We don't have to live in fear of global pandemics, of all these things that want to make the foundation of our life crumble or even some, their faith crumble because we are building upon a stronger foundation. We are building upon the cornerstone of Christ. And so we live with confidence and trust as exiles in this world. I want to make sure that we don't miss this. It's an important part of our, of our text here. We tend to think of our faith in a very personal way. I, I, I tend to think of my relationship with Jesus. And, and by God's grace, we get to experience and enjoy a personal relationship with Jesus. But throughout the New Testament, God is constantly trying to get us to think more corporately and less individually. Even in our text today, all of the pronouns are plural in, in Greek. And, and so what we see throughout, throughout the New Testament is that we are children of, of God. You are a child of God, but you're part of a larger family. You are sheep listening to the master's voice, but you're also following him as part of a flock. You are a member that's part of a body. You are a living stone, but you're being built up with other living stones coming together to form this spiritual house with others. And I think that we miss the point of our passage today if we only think of it in terms of, if we only hear the identity language as how it affects me, how it affects you. Our faith and our worship was never meant to be experienced in isolation from community. We, we need one another. God has designed us in a way to where when we come together, we actually represent him better in our lives and in the lives of others and even into this world. That's why our primary identity as followers of Jesus is the church. It's not that we go to church. Nothing, nothing, this is a building that we're in right now. Nothing makes this a church except for when we gather in it, the ecclesia, the called out ones. The church is not a building. This is who you are. We are the church. So what are we called to do? Now, verse nine, Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. This is language Israel would have used to describe themselves as the people of God. But is now using it to describe us. God chose Israel to be his people, but he also chose them to be a blessing to the nations. His desire was that through the nation of Israel, he would gather up people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation to call his own. Israel was God's holy and chosen people, but they were sent out to, to bring others and to reveal God to the nations. And now Peter takes these words that have always belonged to Israel and he's using them to describe the church. We are now one people, one nation filled with the presence of God in us and sent out as exiles to be a blessing to this world in which we live. To gather them up with us so that they may find the living hope that we have found 
in Jesus. And so as the church, we are to continue the work that was started with Israel and continues with us today. We are to continue the work of knowing God and making him known in this world. And Peter also says that we are a royal priesthood. In other words, we're not just the temple, we're also the priests in the temple. And the role of the priest in the Old Testament was someone who represented the people to God and God to the people. And so as royal priests, we represent God to the people by proclaiming God's truth, by teaching, by counseling. We live in this world as ambassadors, bringing his kingdom just a little bit closer to earth in the way that we live and in the way that we love others. We represent the people to God when we pray for them, when we pour our lives into them, when we walk with them, when we look for ways to help them find Jesus. And we do all of this so that, the end of verse nine, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We do this so that more people will glorify God. More people will declare his praise, not just in here when we sing, but in their very lives that they give to him. And so that's who we are. And that is what we do. We are living stones filled with the presence of God built on the cornerstone of Jesus, representing him in this world and sent out to be a blessing to others so that they may know, love and follow Jesus too. And the reason why this is the ooey-gooey theological center of First and Second Peter is because everything that Peter has written up to this point, it kind of culminates in these verses. And everything that he's going to say in the next few chapters flow right from it. Because what we do flows out of who we are. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to see some really practical ways that we can be living stones who represent God in this world where we find ourselves living as exiles. But what it all comes down to, if you had to paint it with a broad brush, what it all comes down to is that our job, our calling as followers of Jesus is to love God and to make his grace known. And we can do that in a couple of ways. First, we can be faithfully present. Wherever we find ourselves, we can be faithfully present there. And it's, 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 it's becoming harder and harder in, in, our, in our culture to, just to be present anywhere. There's, there's so many distractions that are in our pocket, on our wrist, <laughs> that are all around us, you know, and we're sharing a meal in a restaurant, TVs all around. Like, there's, there's so many things that distract us and keep us from being present. And so that's, that's a challenge enough. It's just to be present where we are. And many of us, we wrestle with that, with our families, with our spouses, just in our lives. But then there's another layer to this that I think that we're called to. It's not just to be present, it's to be faithfully present. It's to take this relationship with Christ and then allow that to influence being present with those around us. It's being present with a purpose. God has gifted each of us in different ways to be a part of his mission in this world. He's given us a unique set of opportunities and abilities to be his witnesses to those around us. And you'll be able to influence people for Jesus that no one else 
can. And so be faithfully present in your community. Be faithfully present as you are out on the ball field watching your kids or your grandkids play baseball or softball. I had a, a guy from the eight o'clock service come up afterwards, a guy that I, that I love and just adore his desire to be faithful wherever he is. And he said, you know, Sean, I realize I, I play golf with so many different guys. And, and like, I just, I want them to see Christ in me as we're golfing. I want them to see that I react maybe a little bit more Christ-like when I shank a shot. <laughs> and that through that, maybe I can be a spiritual influence to them. I'm like, man, that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's being faith. You're out golfing, you're out playing, you're out doing something that you enjoy, but you're faithful in it, hoping that people will see Christ in you. And as they see more of Christ in you because of your faithful presence in their lives, they will begin to desire more of that in them too. We live in a world that desperately needs to see and experience less of me, less of you, that desperately needs to see and experience more of Jesus. And so wherever you find yourself, live and serve others like Jesus who willingly laid down his rights for us, who served us and who ultimately died for us. Look for opportunities to love God and to make his grace known. The second way we can do this is through something that we do each and every week here at Sherwood Oaks. It's through communion. And communion reminds us of who we are. It reminds us that we are loved valued and treasured by God. It reminds of all those things that we sang this morning in the song, Jaira. I love that song. All those things are true of us because they're true of Jesus. And we didn't do anything to earn it, but he gave them to us as a gift of grace. It reminds us that we've been forgiven and set free from the guilt and the shame of our sin. This is who we are and communion every week helps me. It helps us remember that. But communion also reminds us about what we do. The Apostle Paul tells us that when we share in communion, we are proclaiming the gospel. By remembering and celebrating the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we also remind ourselves that we are now to go out and to proclaim his truth and his grace in this world until, until we are called home or Jesus returns. And so as we close today, we're going to share in communion. The servers are going to hand the trays through the aisle. And we invite you uh, to take a stack of cups. The bottom cup has a little piece of bread that helps us remember Jesus' body that was given for us on the cross. And the top cup has juice to help us remember his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we partake in communion and share in that together this morning, may we reflect on who we are now because of who Jesus is and what he has called us to go out and do. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word that gives us wisdom and instructs us in life. And Lord, I know for, for me, there are so many places and so many ways where I have looked for my identity and my meaning and my purpose uh, apart from you. 
And often I, what I've found is that those places uh, crumbled beneath me and left me just wanting something substantial, something real. And thank you, Jesus, that you are that for us, that we can build our lives upon you, our cornerstone. And Lord, I pray that in light of who we are and in light of the grace that we've received and this identity that we now have been given through Jesus, I pray that we will go out and we will share that with others. That now what we do in our places of work, in our community, in our homes, just any place where you have put us, that God, what we do is we represent you in this world and we encourage others to know, love and follow Jesus too. Oftentimes, just in the way that they see Jesus living and working in us. And so Father, forgive us for those ways that we have put our faith and our trust and look for those things and anything apart from you. And thank you for this time to remember as we share in communion who we are and what you've called us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.